0: Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Who got snow yesterday? Did you like that? I was surprised. I was like, come on, I am ready for sun and spring. Listen, I am extremely excited to be with you all today. And we're going to be returning to our message series, Hope in Suffering. Now, it's been a couple of months since we've been in this series. Some of y'all that are new are going, I have no idea. I wasn't here. And, uh, but I'm going to do a quick review for you guys so that we can all get back on track and that for some of you that are new, okay? So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be reviewing that. Today we're going to finish chapter 1. Colby, I just want to say, man, I love this. This is awesome. Colby's the one, I know Pastor mentioned this, but Colby's the one who built this, and this is the first time that I've actually stood behind it. And it's just big and beefy. It makes me just feel, "Mm." so I am ready. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are chosen by the God of this universe, by the Lord of heaven's armies. Isn't that awesome? You were chosen. Come on, y'all need to get excited about that. And by his mercy, you have been born again to a living hope. And that was through believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to say in verse 4 that God is keeping an inheritance that is pure and undefiled for you. God is protecting you through your faith so you won't lose this inheritance. And in the Holman Christian Standard Bible version, it actually says that you're being guarded by God's power. I love that. There is no greater power in all this world than God's power. And if you're a child of God... He's guarding you. In verses 6 and 7, Peter tells us that God is refining your faith through trials. How many of you like trials? (laughs) No, man. I think, I don't know if many of us that really do. I don't like trials. But listen, they're necessary. It's what builds our character. It's what causes us to look up. And it's also whether it proves whether our faith is genuine or not. So they're necessary. But here's what we got to do. We got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because we know that through him we will receive that inheritance that he has prepared for us. In verses 10 through 12, we see that even the angels are amazed at the gift of this salvation. They're amazed at what we're going to receive one day. Why is that? It's because angels don't get to experience what you and I get to experience. They don't get that being born again. That's only we as humans get that. So they look on in amazement. Peter tells us in verse 13 that we should have minds that are ready for action, that we should be sober, that we should focus our hope on the grace that we will one day receive from Jesus Christ. And let's face it, there is a lot of distractions out there in the world today, isn't there? There's a lot of things that you can get your mind wrapped around and you can get way off into the weeds. Listen, God wants you to focus on his grace. In verse 16, Peter reminds us of what God has said. He said, You are to be holy because I am holy. The words of God. Be holy. And this idea of being holy, it means to be set apart. And that is to be set apart from sin because sin separates. So if you're a child of God, then you're going through this process of becoming holy because becoming holy doesn't happen overnight. I wish it did, but it doesn't. It's a process. You're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's our ultimate goal. And it's the fear of the Lord that perfects this holiness. You can clearly see that in 2 Corinthians 7.1. I don't have time to go there today, but I encourage you, take that for your homework. Look up 2 Corinthians 7.1. That's why Peter tells us in verse 17 here that we are to live our lives while we're here on this earth in Fear. He says, in fear. Now, that's not the kind of fear that makes you run away and be afraid and go cower. No, what Peter really means is we are to conduct ourselves while we're here on this earth in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Now, that's a very, very rich subject, and it's a subject that I'm incredibly passionate about. I love the fear of the Lord. You may wonder why our world is so corrupt and full of so much evil. And it feels like that each day it gets worse, doesn't it? Well, let me tell you why. It's because there is no fear of the Lord. That's the issue. There's no fear of the Lord. That's the root of every problem, every failure, every fall, and every sin. There is no fear of the Lord. The Bible has a lot to say about this subject. Unfortunately, I can't go there today. I'd love to. It's one subject I could just keep speaking on all day long if I could. But I can't today, so let me sum this up. The fear of the Lord is reverence that results in obedience. That's what it is. Reverence that results in obedience. And living in the fear of the Lord is the only way that we are to live. Now, to truly understand this, I want to encourage you, please go back and watch or listen to the last message in this series. It was entitled, Living in the Fear of the Lord. Now, you can find that on our website. You can watch that in our new church app if you want. But I encourage you, go back, watch, and listen to that. But let me keep going. Peter tells us in verse 18 that it's the precious blood of Jesus that redeems us or sets us free from an empty life. Now, that's some encouraging news right there. He sets us free from an empty life. I don't want an empty life. Do you? Jesus came to this earth so that we would have life and that we would have it abundantly. But we all have this sin problem and there's only one solution to that problem and that's Jesus Christ. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death that means eternal separation from god in hell forever but god demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us he paid the penalty for our sins that you and i deserve and it was his precious blood on the cross that he shed for you and i that's what redeems us and that's a hope worth living for don't you think Come on, y'all. It's going to be a long service if you don't come on with it. This is some good stuff. All right, speaking of hope, okay? Romans 15, 13 has been our anchor verse for this entire series. This is our theme, if you will. And it's a verse that I encourage you to commit to memory. It can be an anchor for you when the storms of life come, and believe me, they will come. It's been said that you're either... Just getting out of a storm, you're coming into a storm, or you're right in the middle of one, right? So either way, you're going to need an anchor. And this is it right here, Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is our source of hope. He is. And there is no substitute for him. It's his joy and it's his peace that you want because anything else will not last. Anything else will not satisfy. Satan does all he can to deceive us into thinking that we can find fulfillment anywhere but God. But let me tell you something. He's a liar, isn't he? He's a liar. God is our source of hope. And when you trust him, He will give you confidence that no matter what you're facing, through the power of the Holy Spirit, now that's the truth. Do you trust him? Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. We ask Jesus that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds so that we can receive from you. We thank you so much for who you are. We glorify your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So everything that I have said up to this point has been a review of the ground we've already covered in this series. We've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? Haven't we? Okay, I'm going to get you guys, all right? Now we come to our text for today. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And as you're turning there, I've entitled the message today, Alive and Active. Alive and Active? Now, I pose this as a question on purpose because there are two questions that we need to answer today. Number one is really a two part question. It's this Is the Bible the actual Word of God, and is it alive and active? But the second question that we need to answer today is for you to ask of yourself Am I alive and active? Now, I want you to keep that question at the forefront of your mind as we jump into this message together. So let's go ahead and get in here. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 22. Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever." Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now there's a lot packed into this text, but I'm only going to focus on two characteristics of the word of God that you can see here that Peter tells us about. So the first one here is in verse 23 when he says, the word of God lives. In other words, it's alive. And secondly, it has no end. It's eternal. It abides forever. He says it again in verse 25. The word of the Lord endures forever. So what have we learned here? The word of God is living, and it survives for all eternity. Now, the Bible is made up of 66 books written by approximately 40 different authors over a span of, a th- of 1,600 years. It's the most uh, popular book of all time, and it has one primary theme in it. That theme is the glory of God and the salvation of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. But here's the real question. Is it the Word of God? I want you to hear how the lead pastor from a church in Tennessee addressed this in his sermon on February 7th of this year. Listen to this.
1: The Bible also isn't the Word of God. Now, I know this is probably the most challenging point for those of us who have been told again and again and again and again the Bible is is God's Word. The problem is the Bible does not claim to be that.
0: Whoa. Back up the bus, right? How does that make you feel? Shocked? Surprised? angry, sad, or maybe even all of the above. The Bible isn't the word of God, and the Bible does not claim to be that. Really. Let's look at 2 Peter. Second Peter here, this is what Peter says. He says, because of that experience, the that that he's talking about, that experience is when he, James and John, we were on the holy mountain and they heard the words of God. God said, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. That's the experience that Peter's talking about here. He says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture Ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. You see, the words of the Bible came directly from God, and it was His Holy Spirit that moved in the hearts of all those who wrote those books of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit really is the divine author, He's the originator of the Bible. And did you know in the Old Testament alone that the human writers refer to their writings as the words of God over 3,800 times? So scripture is not the result of man's interpretation. It's not the product of human effort. God used the individual personalities and experiences of the human writers, but it was the Holy Spirit who breathed the words into their hearts and their minds. How do I know that? Well, 2 Timothy tells us that. It says here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how much of scripture is given by God? All scripture, right? All of it.
1: But today I want to continue.
0: Not yet. (laughs) All scripture is given by God. That phrase, given by inspiration of God, it literally means that the words of the Bible were breathed out by God himself. So how can the lead pastor of a so-called Christian church say that the Bible isn't the word of God and that the Bible does not claim to be that? How does this happen? I want you to listen to his words very carefully in this next clip.
1: But today I want to continue our series by exploring the relationship of the Bible to progressive Christianity. Um, I think we should acknowledge that that for uh, many progressive Christians, we often have an awkward, even tense relationship with the Bible. We no longer see it as a divinely dictated book that fell out of the sky.
0: So the first clue here in how he's being led astray is when he says we no longer see. He said, we no longer see it as a divinely dictated book that fell out of the sky. The phrase, the key phrase there. Is we no longer see. That implies that at one time or another they did see, but now they no longer see. That's because he and the rest of those who are into this progressive Christianity movement are being deceived. I believe we're seeing the words of 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, play out right before our very eyes today. If you've got your handout there, you'll notice that I made a mistake. It should say 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, not verses 1 and 2, which is what's in your handout. So I apologize. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Okay? (laughs) Well, here it is. It says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. So they no longer see because they no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They no longer see because they reject the truth and chase after myths. Let me give you one more example. Sadly, I could give you many examples. My wife just made a post on her Facebook about this. There's a New York Times best-selling book available right now. It's called A Rhythm of Prayer. At first glance, you might think, well, that sounds pretty cool. It's a book comprised of a collection of prayers. sounds pretty innocent, right? But then you open it and you find a whole bunch of nonsense. Let me just read you a little bit here. This is a prayer, mind you. Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least to want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls, to stop believing that they can be better, that they can stop being racist. That's just utter rubbish, isn't it? Heaven help the person who prays that kind of prayer but this is indicative of the kind of foolishness that's out there in our culture right now. And this is a number one bestseller in Amazon's Christian meditation, worship, and devotion category. You know what? There are many wolves in sheep's clothing out there right now. And they're speaking lies and false doctrines. The Bible warns us over and over again to beware and to be on guard, which means we have to know the truth so that we can recognize these lies disguised as truths. You should be fact-checking everything you read, watch, and listen to. That means even Pastor Bruce and even me. Be a Berean. Bereans checked the Bible to make sure that what they were hearing was in fact true. So this is really important. This is my fact-checker. Is it yours? I hope so. Don't be deceived by Facebook, Twitter, and the mainstream media fact-checkers. That's not fact-checking they're doing. That's feeling-checking. The world is all about feelings over facts. And this is incredibly dangerous. We can't be led by feelings because they lie. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So listen, don't trust your feelings. Trust
1: the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Now, if you thought the last clip that I showed you was outrageous, listen to this next one.
1: I think it's important for me to give a disclaimer before And I give a disclaimer like this every time I talk about the Bible. I am not suggesting that you should read the Bible every day or that you have to engage in the Bible to be, read the Bible to be a good Christian.
0: You absolutely cannot believe everything you hear. Even if it comes from a seemingly reputable source like a pastor, right? What kind of pastor would ever tell you that you don't need to read the Bible every day or that you don't need to engage or read the Bible to be a good Christian? If you've been here at Cross Point Church for any length of time, you've heard Pastor Bruce and I say over and over again that Christianity is not about rules. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with the Lord God Almighty, your Heavenly Father. He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. He loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. When you begin to see the Bible as the way to go deeper in that relationship, it changes everything. It's not a book you read to be good. It's a book you engage to draw closer to your heavenly father. You don't read it because you have to. You read it because you want to. It's what renews your mind. It's what transforms you so you don't conform to this world. Child of God, you are not of this world. Did you know that? You are a citizen of heaven. We're just passing through. This life is only temporary. Let me just tell you a quick story. On Monday afternoon, I took my family to Quinn's up at the Hot Springs. How many of you have been there? Oh, man, if you haven't been there, they got some great food. It is so good. (laughs) I took my family up there to kind of take a break. Uh, My wife wanted to kind of get out of the house because she's been cooped up in the house forever. So we went up there to enjoy just a meal. And as we got finished, I took out my business card and I laid it down with my tip for the waiter. And my business card has my contact information on one side. And then on the other side, it has a website called truelife.org. And this website is an apologetics website that provides biblical answers to life's toughest questions and so I left that there face up and I do this a lot just to try to engage people and so we got up and finished our meal we went over to the gift shop which is in another building we kind of meandered around there for a while and my wife said hey uh, honey would you mind bringing the truck around so that you know I, I don't have to go all the way back through there and I said well sure so I walked back through the restaurant and as I came in I nearly walked right into my waiter I mean we like bumped right into one another, and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, dude. He was like, sorry, and I said, well, have a good day, and started to walk out, and he stopped me, and he said, hey, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, sure, of course. He's a young man. He was in his late teens, probably early 20s, and he was really nervous, and he had a hard time articulating what he wanted to ask, so he began by prefacing his question by saying that he was raised Catholic, And that he had been turned off by the church mostly because of the people in the church. He saw the people in the church who were hypocrites and legalistic, right? That really hurt, man, because I see that sometimes in church. People in church aren't who the Bible says they should be. And it's unfortunate because that turns people away, becomes a stumbling block. And this young man, that's what had happened to him. And then he managed to just say his question. He said, how do you stay faithful? How do you stay faithful? And uh, when I heard that, I answered almost immediately, without even thinking. It just kind of came out. I said, the Bible. I spend time in the Bible. It's how I hear from God. I explained to him that religion is all about rules, right? But following God is all about a relationship. I told him the Bible is how we get to know God. It changes us from the inside out. And it turns the I have to's into I want to's. Because the more you're in the Bible, the more you will love the Lord. It's just what happens. And then you'll want to please him. And then the more you will be faithful. Because the Bible is the living word of God. As a matter of fact, the word is actually Jesus himself. This is one of those moments, right? Right? Jesus is the Word himself. Watch this. This is John. He says in chapter 1 here, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. What do we see in this text? First, the Word has always been with God. The Word is God. The spoken Word of God is what created all things. It's what gives life to everything. And no darkness can ever overcome it. Now John gets even more clear in verse 14 of who the Word is. He said, The Word became flesh, took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and and truth. The Word of God is Jesus, the one and only Son of God in the flesh. That makes the Bible the living Word of God that endures forever. But what if you're here today, and you're just not sure that you believe that the Bible is what it claims to be? Or you're not even sure that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because all I've done so far is point out what the Bible says about itself. Let me offer some other supporting evidence on why you should believe the Bible. Archaeology. Archaeology is a science that examines the ancient world by recovering and evaluating the remains that are left behind. Archaeology consistently confirms the, biblical, uh, the Bible's historical accuracy. Every archaeological discovery that describes people, places, and events that are mentioned in the Bible points to the accuracy of the biblical record. In fact, many archaeologists have become believers in the Bible because of this accuracy. Amazingly, not one archaeological find throughout history has ever conflicted with what the Bible records. Now there's one theory out there that's pretty interesting. This theory is that um, Moses could not have written the first five books of the Bible because writing hadn't been invented yet. That's a theory. They still teach that in colleges today. Well, archaeologists proved that theory wrong when they discovered black steel in 1901. Black steel is a cultured stone that contains uh, ancient writings on it. Here's one example of one up on the screen. The steel of Hammurabi. Hammurabi was a uh, Babylonian king. And you may not be able to see it from your seat, but below the images that you see, the two people up there, everything on the way down is all ancient writing. Now, this cultured stone preceded Moses by over 300 years. So, of course, there was writing before Moses. Now, if that wasn't clear enough, there was another discovery in the 1970s. They discovered the Ebla tablets. There was over 15,000 of these tablets that you see on the right-hand side. They've got ancient writing on it. These tablets proved that laws, customs, and events were recorded in writing 1,000 years before Moses. So why in the world... Do our colleges and universities still teach this theory that Moses couldn't have written the first five books because writing wasn't around? You've got clear facts that show that that's not the case. It's probably for the same reason that they still teach evolution today, which is another debunked theory, isn't it? Yeah. The Bible is unique in how it's been preserved over so many years. There are some that believe that because the Bible has been translated so many times that it's been corrupted. This could be true if we were making translations from other translations. But when the Bible is translated, it's actually made directly from the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic source texts, which are based on thousands of ancient manuscripts. In 1947, archaeologists found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which contained Old Testament scripture that dated back 1,000 years older than any manuscripts that they had in existence at the time. And what was so amazing about this discovery is that when you compared the manuscripts that they had on hand versus the manuscripts that were in the Dead Sea Scrolls a thousand years older there was a 95% accuracy rate with only 5% being a difference and that 5% was really accounting for some spelling differences and some sentence structure that did not change the meaning of any of the text. That's just amazing right there. That is amazing. We have exponentially more manuscript data for the New Testament than we do for any other historical literature. This means that the New Testament is preserved better than any other ancient manuscript. Now, I know this is a bit of an eye chart. Let me walk you through this. Really, the two columns that you need to look at here are the time gap and the number of copies. Okay, now when researchers are looking at old manuscripts, one of the things they're, they're looking at for validity is what's the time gap between when it was originally written and what the earliest copies that they have from ancient manuscripts. You'll notice that the Bible is a lot, there's a lot more closer of a gap than there is any of the other ancient manuscripts. Why is this important? Because a lot can happen over time, can it? Things can get changed over time. So the closer you are to the original work with the copies that you have, the more validity it brings to that work that we're talking about. The next column here is number of copies. This is referring to the number of ancient manuscript copies of the original that we have on hand. Clearly, when you look at the Bible, we have nearly 6,000 of those on hand that were written in the original Greek language. If you factor in the other languages that we have of ancient manuscripts besides Greek, There's over 18,000 of them. That's over 25,000 ancient manuscript copies of the New Testament. How does that compare to any of the other ancient works? You can see it dwarfs it exponentially, doesn't it? That's just incredible. We can be more certain about what we read about the life of Jesus and the words that he spoke than any of the writings about Caesar, Plato, Aristotle, and Homer. The survival of the Bible throughout time. Is difficult to explain if it were not the true Word of God. The Bible was written by people who witnessed the events that they described. Many of these eyewitnesses were persecuted or killed, but they never changed their story. Would you die for something if you knew it wasn't true? Would you? Now, this is a bonus for you guys today, because this wasn't in my notes, okay? So I'm going to open my Bible, and I want you guys to hear this, okay? We're, we're talking about the resurrection just for a moment. And this is going to come from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 5. It says, this is talking about Jesus. And then he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Me, he's talking about Paul. That's, that's who's writing this. What's amazing about this, this is referring to Jesus after the resurrection, right? After he died on the cross and came back. That many people saw him afterward. That's how many eyewitnesses that we had to Jesus being alive. That's incredible. So, and then there's this quote that I wanted to share from you, or with you, from Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a major player in President Nixon's administration, and he was put in jail for his role in the presidential Watergate scandal later in his life. Okay, here's what he said. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had, been, they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Chuck Colson. That's good right there, isn't it? There is no other book in the world like the Bible. There are over 300 specific prophecies of the Old Testament that were all fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The prophetic nature of the Bible alone should convince anyone of it being truth. Sadly, we have so many today that don't believe the truth. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who believe that there are many truths and that what's true for you is not true for me. In fact, a 2020 study from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University showed that some 58% of some Americans surveyed no longer believe in an absolute truth, and that instead it's up to the individual to decide what's true or moral. 58%. Now, did you hear the key phrase in there? They no longer believe. Remember what I said earlier about they no longer see? Well, they no longer believe. See the connection there? That's the problem. 58% believe that. Wow. Watch this video.
2: Increasingly, people speak of my truth or say it's true for me or your reality as though truth is merely a matter of opinion or perspective. At the 2018 Golden Globe Awards, Oprah Winfrey famously said that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Now you can have your experience or your perspective, but there's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There is only the truth, that which is true for everyone. As Wall Street Journal writer Byron Tau noted, Oprah employed a phrase that I've noticed a lot of other celebrities using these days, your truth instead of the truth. But he added, your truth undermines the idea of shared common facts. And here's another problem with your truth. If your truth is truth, anyone who doesn't hold that truth must be wrong. This sounds a lot like narcissism and its intellectual bullying. Believe my truth or else. Not exactly a positive pro-truth message. Yeah, truth is going through a tough time. So let's review. Truth can't be relative. If it is relative, it's not truth. To say there is no truth for all people is to declare a truth for all people. In effect, you're saying it's true that there is no truth. And to declare that both your and my opinions are true, even if they contradict one another, is to speak nonsense. Truth is an opinion or preference. It's not subjective or relative. It is inescapable because reality is inescapable. No amount of double talk will change that. And that's the truth.
0: So there's no such thing as your truth. To say otherwise is to simply buy a very cozy and convenient lie. Our culture is really good at making up nonsense like that. And you know, there is so much information available today. At the click of a button on your computer or on your mobile device, you have information at your fingertips just about on any subject that you'd want. But sadly, although all this information is available, the world is starving for the truth. It is. Why? Why? Because Satan is the father of lies, and he's incredibly good at deceiving people. Satan will always try to entice you with a counterfeit truth so that you'll buy his lie. That's why it's so important that we need to know the truth. And how do we know the truth? Jesus says in John 17, 17 that the word is truth. The Bible, God's holy word is truth. It's absolute truth. It's inerrant and it's infallible, all of it. The, the Bible is not a buffet where you just select your favorite passages and skip the ones you don't like. The entire Bible is true. Amen. Now, listen to the words of Jesus here in John chapter 8. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word, now, this word abide is the same word that we encountered in our text for today in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, when Peter said, The word of God lives and abides forever. It's a word that, re- that means to remain, to dwell, to live, or to endure forever. So Jesus is saying here that a disciple is someone who dwells, remains, or lives in his holy word. A true disciple is a lifelong student of the Bible. So the idea that the Bible is not the word of God, that you don't have to read it every day, and that what's true for you is not true for me, that's all just plain heresy. That's a doctrine of demons. That's what that is. Let's just call it exactly what it is. Nonsense. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and active. That means it's living and it's always at work. It's life-changing, and it never comes back void. It always accomplishes exactly what our Father intends it to. The Bible is so incredibly awesome because what God shows you through His Word today may not be the same thing that He'll show you the next time you read that very same passage. Why is that? Because it's alive and it's active. It's always working. God will give you exactly what you need. You need to seek Him, and, and you will find I can promise you that at the beginning of this message I said we needed to answer two questions today the first question was is the Bible the actual word of God and is it alive and active well we have established already the answer to that question of course it was a resounding yes so now let's move to the second question are you alive and active are you This is a very personal question, but the answer will reveal exactly what's needed in your life. Let's take the first part of that. Are you alive? (laughs) Well, if you're here today, and if you're breathing, and you can hear my voice, of course you're alive, right? But that's not really what I'm asking. Are you spiritually alive? Have you been born again? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because there is only two types of people in this world. Those that are saved, spiritually alive, and those that are lost, spiritually dead. Sadly, many people get confused about this because they assume that they're saved. But there's only one way to be saved and to go to heaven, and that's to believe and to receive in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Jesus says in John fourteen six that I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see how exclusive that is? There's only one way, friend. You and I can never be good enough. It's by his grace, through your faith, that you're saved. Our culture, our world will say that you're going to have to do this, you're going to have to do that, you're going to have to meet all of these requirements. That's what it's, our world's going to tell you. But Jesus says, No, I, it's done. It's finished. I've already done that for you. I died for you. So let me ask you again Are you alive? If you're not sure, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment to respond to the invitation. The second part of this question is Are you active? Meaning, are you at work for Jesus Christ? Are you doing what his word says? James 1.22 says that we are not to just listen to the word and so deceive ourselves. We are to do what it says. We are to be doers of the word. Faith requires action. That's what proves whether your faith is genuine or not. Faith without works is dead. Are you putting into practice your faith? Are you working out your salvation, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2? He didn't say work for your salvation. He said work out your salvation. So is your faith active? If you're not alive, it really doesn't matter if you're active. You must be alive to truly be active. You can't be one without the other. Jesus is the word of God, and he is alive and active. Are you Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the Word of God, that we have perfect truth available to us. And at our fingertips, we have the opportunity to dive deeper in our relationship with you every day by opening your Word. I thank you, God, that you are a merciful God, that you are a God of grace. So if you're here today, and you feel like that today is the day that you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, you want to be alive You want to come alive. You want to go to heaven. You want to be one of those that are spiritually alive. And you feel the Holy Spirit pulling upon your heart today. If that's you, I want to encourage you, please slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone here today want to make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and make them the Savior of your life today? Anyone? Anyone want to make Jesus their Lord today? Okay, others of you may be at your seat and you may be thinking, you know what, I'm alive but I really haven't been active, but I want to be. I want to be active for you, Lord. I want to make that decision today to say, I'm going to get involved. I'm actually going to walk out my faith. If that's you, and you'd like for me to pray for you, I encourage you to slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of hands today. For those of you that want to be active. Okay, Father, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come and fill all of those who raise their hand, that you would fill them with your spirit and encourage them to walk by faith, not by sight. And Lord, that their faith would become an active faith, that you'd activate them today, Father, to carry out your will. We thank you so much for the word of God. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please stand for the uh, playing of our last song here.